0: I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code bookclub10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too.
1: You're listening to the SLP Book Club, We're your hosts, Adrienne Frost and Laura Geisert.
0: This month, we're reading The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter.
1: Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today, we are going to be talking about chapters three and four from The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. But first, before we get into that, we thought we would, again, play a little game, have a little conversation, maybe laugh a little bit. So today we're just going to do some conversation starters and, you know, maybe tell some stories. So, Laura, I'm going to pick the first one. Okay. What is something you love that everyone else thinks is
0: gross? (laughs) Okay, I just thought about this the other day. I don't know if I would say everyone thinks it's gross, but I love at the dentist when they measure your gums where they poke them
1: with that little stick. Yeah, and they go like
0: three, two, three, three, two. They're telling somebody else and they're recording it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Yeah, it's like the depth of your gum pocket. I love it. Like it feels like. An itch is being scratched. It feels so good. They always act like it's going to be terrible. Like, oh, I've got to measure your gums now. I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, please. And I just went to the dentist and they didn't do it. And I almost went to be like, um, guys. <laughs> I've been waiting for this
1: <laughs> for six months. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Do you have anything like that? Okay. So when I go to In-N-Out Burger, I really like to get fries, regular fries, not animal style, just regular, and chocolate shake. And I like to dip my french fry in the chocolate shake and then eat it, of course. And I think it's just strange. Like, I don't, (laughs) I've had some people be like, gross, but then I'm like, oh, is it so gross? Try it. And then they're like, it's amazing. It's so, (laughs) it's the sweet and the salt and the that i don't know like i would never eat potatoes and ice cream together normally but something about it <laughs> it's delicious
0: no that's not one that i do regularly but i certainly have done it in the past do you remember in grad school one of our friends saying one of her favorite combinations was cool ranch doritos dipped into strawberry cream cheese shout out meg <laughs>
1: <laughs> meg <laughs> um for some reason Laura, you blow me away with your memory i'm like i i remember meg (laughs) no because that combination
0: has like i've always kind of been curious about it well try it and let us know (laughs) okay i don't know if you have one of these what is the worst place that you've been stuck for a long time have you ever been stuck anywhere against your will
1: yes okay (laughs) So this is a little bit of like a story. So just bear with me. Oh, no. When I was like 13, (laughs) I went on a cruise with my family, a Mexican cruise. It was like the seven day you hit Mazatlan, you hit Cabo, you hit Puerto Vallarta, you came back up. And I think we were in Puerto Vallarta and we docked. My family and I, we got off the boat. We had scheduled some kind of excursion where we had something on like a beach thing. We were just kind of hanging on the beach. I'm like, whoa, those clouds are like really big. They're moving like really fast. And then the next thing I know, there's a full-on storm going on. Beach umbrellas are tumbling across the beach. Chairs are flying. It's totally scary. Went from being really nice to being really scary like in an instant. I look out at the cruise ship and it just turns around and just like leaves goes out to sea and we're all like wait (laughs) so then it became this natural disaster situation where all we have are these like carnival cruise towels and our bathing suits and we're like oh no it's like a hurricane and we were just wandering around we ended up on some boat like women and children only style like i was with my aunt my uncle left <laughs> the boat wasn't even going anywhere. It was just sitting at the dock in the waves. It was oh, horrible. Man. We ended up in like this abandoned hotel with all the other refugees from the cruise. And eventually, oh, the gosh. I don't know, the storm passed and we were able to get back on the boat. But it was like fully terrifying. Yeah. And um, we still laugh about it to this day. It's hilarious. But
0: scary in the moment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That sounds terrifying.
1: I thought I had I this know. really
0: horrific story but now it sounds really tame in comparison because in high school my volleyball team was on the plane from denver come like we were boarded and sitting there waiting to leave and then they just deboarded they were like sorry there's a storm and we had to spend the whole night asleep on the floor of the denver airport i mean we didn't get a hotel we got nothing we just had to spend the night there it was abandoned too it's not like a bustling it wasn't like people were still there nobody was there it was empty it was dark like we were just there the volleyball <laughs> team just laying on the floor but oh my if, gosh that's if scary. you gave me the option of the denver airport versus porto vallarta <laughs> in a storm. I think I'm going to take the
1: Denver airport. Well, I guess I just topped your story. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It totally showed me up. Okay, Laura. So my question for you is what is the funniest movie you have ever seen? In the moment at the movie theater
0: where I just could not believe how funny a movie was, was Anchorman. I was in college when it came out, went to the theater with my friends and just died. I thought that was the funniest movie in the world. Yeah. I think that's going to be my answer. What about you?
1: Okay. My answer is Step Brothers. Oh my god, I don't remember seeing it in the theaters, but that is a movie where I watch it a lot. Not all the time, but probably I could watch it every three months and I'm still laughing so hard. Will Ferrell is so funny. Okay, so we both picked Will Ferrell movies,
0: but isn't John C. Riley also in the Anchorman fight scene? Yes, (laughs) of
1: course, both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Laura and I both picked movies that were from a pretty long time ago. So if anybody has good suggestions for really funny movies that are a little bit more current please go ahead and DM us. We're always open to suggestions and maybe we'll join. I don't know. Maybe we'll join Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for our game. Thank you for hanging with us and stay tuned as we talk about chapters three and four from the Seeds of Learning. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G S L P? I am such a huge fan, and I'm here to sing her praises. (laughs) Since I'm a teletherapist, I use boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items, and her lid comb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing, and I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a connect four donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. (laughs) The best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence based, and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura! Go check them out today at Laura G. SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources
0: we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the
1: show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at theslpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP Book Club. All right, so chapter three, we're talking about executive functioning, which serves as a self-regulatory system. If you have been listening to the SLP Book Club for a while, then you'll recall the book we covered, Smart But Scattered, where we went really in-depth about executive functioning And you're going to be ahead of the curve if you listened along for that one, because that was a great primer for what we're about to talk about in this chapter. So overall, it's our overarching, all-encompassing regulatory system of cognition. The author describes it as an orchestra conductor whose job it is to coordinate and integrate all of the various parts of cognition to create a seamless, sort of harmonious input and output. Tara also uses the skill cluster model developed by Dr. George McCloskey to define executive functioning. She feels like this model is helpful because it allows the practitioner to be specific about a child's deficit area and level of breakdown. So this precision is really important in order to make your therapy really targeted and effective. If you are interested in learning more about Dr. McCloskey's model, which has been really simplified for the book, you can check out his book, which is titled Assessment and Intervention for Executive Function Difficulties. And one characteristic of executive function deficit is inconsistency in performance. So this might look like a student who seems engaged and focused in the information one day, and then the next day he's just like spacey, totally zoned out. Or maybe a student who does well on a test, and then the next test he takes just does completely horribly. So it's really that inconsistency. And the impact of executive function weakness on learning cannot be underestimated. So children develop speech and language by paying attention to the adults around them during their development. Again, this has to do with really early language when babies are babbling, that's because they're listening to the adults around them and copying them. But when children are not focused or paying attention to their adult models, then they can miss big amounts of information. And this can cause gaps in any or all aspects of cognitive development, gaps in knowledge, difficulty acquiring and retaining, information and difficulty generating new ideas and initiating tasks. So this can result in children who are unorganized, forgetful, inflexible, easily distracted, and often off-task. Pretty much the profile for a student we think of when we think of executive functioning deficits. So these are also the kids who rush through assignments with weak self-monitoring and self-correction, or they take forever on their work because they have poor focus. Maybe they have a hard time controlling their pace, sense of time, prioritization, and initiation. So tasks that have multiple steps and require layers of planning to execute are particularly overwhelming for these children. And as I was just saying that I was reminded of this weekend, my sister and I were cleaning the house. And her room is a disaster. And she came to me and she was like, I really need your help. Like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know what to prioritize. I don't know what to do first. (laughs) Did you break out smart but scattered? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I have a plan for this. Like, of course, I didn't whip out a list and do a little visual for each step. (laughs) I was like, okay, first, we're going to deal with the laundry. And then we're going to move everything out of the way. Then we'll get into the closet. And, you know, in that moment, I thought, wow, This is such, just like she says, conducting an orchestra, thinking about each piece, what has to come first. You don't want to mop the floor before you dust. That makes no sense. Then you're going to have a floor that's Mm -hmm. covered in dust that you already cleaned. So there's an order to these things and it is complicated. And I definitely understand how that's tough. Unfortunately, these children are often labeled as lazy or students who just don't work hard enough or maybe even they're seen as behavior problems and They also tend to have difficulty self-modulating with their emotions. They may have outbursts or tantrums that just seem pretty big compared to the trigger. Pragmatic development is based on our executive functioning system as well. And children who struggle with executive functioning often have a hard time socially. So... Social interaction requires focus, sustained attention when you're having a conversation. You need to hear and process what the other person is saying in order to be able to respond in an on-topic appropriate way. And social interaction also requires inhibition, right? So you don't want to just blurt something out or interrupt or overshare or, you know, these kids might want to grab a toy away from a friend or push someone if they're frustrated and these all can get in the way of being socially appropriate and accepted by their peers. Inhibition is also necessary for turn-taking during conversation or any social interaction, gameplay, so many different situations. So from a diagnostic standpoint, these children can be really hard to diagnose because they might present with other difficulties like language delay or disorder, speech delay or disorder, learning disability, dyslexia, other reading impairments, pragmatic disorders, and so on. So our job is to determine if they are executive function impairments as an underlying deficit that's driving all the other learning impairments that the child's presenting with. And in many cases, executive functioning impairments do cause other learning disabilities simply because the child is unable to focus or connect with the world around him or her. Maybe a child who has autism, you know, they can't connect with the world around them or a child who has ADHD or ADD, you know, if they're unable to focus on the world around them, they're going to miss a lot of information. And these students, these kids are undoubtedly going to display delays and disorders, especially in speech and language development. So in order for learning to take place, the child needs to be able to perceive their environment and then attend to the environment. And learning can be impaired when this is not in place. So I don't know for you, Laura, if this was like, a major light bulb moment but even after reading the entire smart but scattered having that same information presented in this way was like my gosh of course you know yeah because smart but scattered didn't really get into that really
0: specific maybe the impact on speech and language the way that tara is right and I don't know. It's just so interesting. Now to say someone has autism could mean such a wide range of things. The spectrum. Don't just tell me a kid has autism. Right. Tell me where there are deficits so I can address them. Not just like, oh, so he probably has right. problems What's with pragmatic language and with communication. And, you know, it's like, tell me where we need to work is it attending? Is this kid really self-directed and only wants to play on his own? And he's, you know, it's just such a different way to look at things. And I read it and read it again. And
1: I was like, oh, yep, this is what I've been missing. Yes, (laughs) definitely. And my gosh, she said, so what she said to summarize it was basically sometimes the information gets in and sometimes it doesn't. So that's a really blunt way of just explaining all that information. But then she said, you know, humans are always required to use executive functions. And I have this bolded because this is so important, right? So there is literally no activity or task in which we do not have to use our executive functioning skills. So this is a critical point when we talk about assessment. Every single test that we all use to assess children, whether it's speech, reading, academics, psych assessments, IQ assessments, is Also testing a child's executive functioning skills. And this is super important because a child may present with deficits in other cognitive areas as a result, direct result of an executive functioning impairment. And this alone can cause us to miss the root problem because all we're seeing are the symptoms. And now I'm going to get up on my soapbox. I'm going to talk about something. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Okay. I give the self all the time. Okay. I give the self to elementary school kids. I'm very familiar. And I have to talk about the recalling sentences subtest. It bothers me so much because I'm like, what information are we getting from this? Like, I was recently really reading the manual getting deep on this one subtest because it is supposed to give us insight into the child's morphology and syntax skills. Hmm. We are saying a sentence, because tomorrow is Saturday. We we can stay stay up late late tonight. tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And when they say, because tomorrow... Saturday, we stay up late tonight. You know, they're dropping words and we're supposed to say, oh, they're having a difficult time with these more complex sentences or whatever. But in actuality, I mean, sometimes it does give you that information, especially if like what you're getting kind of aligns with their results from maybe the formulated sentences subtest. It's like, okay, like we're seeing these same things popping up. However, I always tell parents this subtest really Relies heavily on attention. You can say this sentence one time. And if they are distracted, that's it. They don't have it. And they're just immediately missing yeah. that item. Or, you know, it also relies heavily on working memory. How yeah. much information can you store in your brain? And it's like some kids are amazing at that, but I almost feel like it's a wash. If the attention is not there, you're not really learning anything. Yeah. I don't know. That subtest like really bothers me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have students, I had a student that I just assessed who I work with all the time who it's like his processing is so poor that we couldn't even do the sounds and sentences subtest from the gift Okay. Right? Where like you read the whole story and then you're giving them sentences. He can barely repeat anything longer than three words and it's just like this is a processing deficit. Yeah, there is so much more going on that like needs to be treated before we work on like you know detail comprehension from a passage, which is kind of how you would treat that, right? Let's work on your receptive language. Let's work on. Yeah, everybody's just writing these goals, and there is just some foundational pieces that are not being addressed. And lately, maybe it's the caseload I have right now, but I've just been like over and over and over seeing how attention impacts these results. And I wish we had her book on treatment would be like a great follow up to this book, you know? Yeah. We're like, the people are clamoring. We want it. (laughs) But anyway, so I was just totally thinking about that. And like, don't even get me started on the (laughs) castle. So on page 19, there's the visual that goes with this chapter. So you can see the author's simplified version of the skill cluster model. And under each skill, like attention or efficiency, There are other skills that are required in order to support that skill. So like, for example, under attention, you can see that requires perception, focus and sustained attention. So for every basic category, there's so many other skills that need to be in place just to achieve like overall attention. So I really liked this case study at the end of the chapter because I feel like, first of all, as SLPs, like we love a good case study, (laughs) and this really illustrates what we're talking about. So it's kind of long, but just hang in there with me. All right, this is about Tom. So Tom, a six-year-old male in first grade, was struggling with all aspects of speech and language development and was not successfully learning in the classroom. So Tom's attention and focus had been an issue since it was first noticed around age two. He'd been diagnosed with ADHD by his pediatrician. Tom had received speech therapy for three years, two days a week for 30-minute sessions. Mom felt like there was little to no progress being made in therapy. Tom came to see Tara, the author, for a comprehensive evaluation. She was unable to complete an age-appropriate evaluation due to Tom's lack of perception, focus, and sustained attention. He was able to sustain attention for approximately 30 seconds at a time. So no wonder he's not learning, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's not very long at all. He was unable to follow one-step commands. His expressive language was characterized by three to four word phrases with inappropriate semantics, syntax, and morphology. Word finding appeared to be very difficult for him. He was unable to participate in conversation. Tom's speech was characterized by inconsistent error patterns of consonant deletion, distortion, and substitution, blend reduction, syllable deletions, and vowel distortions tom was not developing literacy skills so the author diagnosed tom with a primary diagnosis of severe executive functioning impairment characterized by deficits in perception focus and sustained attention a secondary diagnosis of language disorder and a tertiary diagnosis of speech disorder tom's speech and language disorders were clearly a result of his severe executive functioning impairment so even though this book will not address therapy it should be noted that the first month of Tom's therapy addressed increasing his perception, focus, and sustained attention. And then she goes on to say that basically, once they were able to reach a five-minute period of sustained attention, which took a month, then they could start actually addressing language with an integrated language executive functioning approach. And we got to wait for the book to come out to find out more about that. But I mean, how many times have you been in an IEP? This just happened to me last month. I'm sitting in a meeting, we're talking about a full team of we just did for a student with autism. And for one reason or another, my speech report wasn't ready. And the academics or the teacher is going over her academic assessment results. And she was like, well, he wasn't really able to complete the verbal portions of my testing. He was pretty test out and he couldn't really attend, but it doesn't really matter Because autism is really a language disorder. So we'll just wait until, you know, the SLP has her report ready. And then we'll get all the answers. She said the words autism
0: is a language disorder.
1: Yeah, she said, you know, the main (laughs) problem with autism is that it's a language disorder. So my results don't matter anyway. And let's (sighs) just wait for the SLP to go over her results. And then that will drive our goals. Okay. And I just thought, um... (laughs) Maybe your goals... If you can't get the
0: kid to attend to your testing, you need to start there, right? I mean, yeah. Your goals should be. You would think.
1: Wow. Okay. Everything's making sense now. I know. It's like (laughs) I wish that everybody, all these teachers had access to this book because even though it's for SLPs, written by SLPs, it's beneficial. I mean, this makes sense to everyone, I feel. Yeah. Educators. Hopefully this will spread. I don't, I'm getting so heated about this. Okay, let me get into chapter four. (laughs) So chapter four discusses the application of the model within the school setting. And we as SLPs can use this comprehensive model to look at the cognitive processing demands that are needed for various school subjects, like reading and language arts, math, science, social studies, and foreign languages. And the development of literacy is really complex. So it involves a lot of areas such as cognitive processing, but really especially speech, phonological, visual imagery for symbols, language, and executive functioning. So all of that needs to be in place for literacy to happen. Especially quiet contextual reading happens when phonological processing, visual imagery for symbols processing and language processing integrate with regulation by the executive functioning system. So that's difficult enough on its own, but then when you switch to reading out loud, it's more complex because then that requires the addition of the speech processing center because you're speaking. So children who have speech processing issues, like specifically apraxia, often have a hard time with literacy assessments because they need to read out loud. They have poor oral motor coordination and execution, and this is even more complicated when a time component is added to the assessment, like read as many words as you can in one minute. So when the oral motor system is stressed, then we see impaired performance by these kids. So basically their poor literacy scores could be a result of their impaired oral motor coordination skills instead of their literacy processing. But based on all the information, the connection between speech sound disorders and literacy impairments has been well documented. And this is because speech development and phonological processing are deeply connected in the brain during development and cannot be separated. So when speech develops inadequately, then, of course, phonological processing does too. And this is why both need to be addressed in therapy. So if there's a breakdown in literacy development, it's not enough to simply diagnose a child with dyslexia, because that just means a simple reading impairment. So it's up to the professionals to figure out, one, where in the cognitive system, either the subsystem or the self-regulatory system, is the deficit occurring, and two, at what processing level is the breakdown beginning. So is the cognitive system deficit occurring in the visual imagery for symbols processing area with the four-letter words? Are they having a hard time literally seeing C, C, V, C word and understanding that? Or is it the language region with comprehending the four-letter words? It's hard to know where the breakdown happens.
0: When I was reading this chapter, I got totally overwhelmed thinking about reading thinking of how our brains learn to read and how now words are just sight words and I stopped being able oh, yeah. to, like it's like I couldn't even read anymore <laughs> it was getting so overwhelming <laughs> thinking about how I can just look at these forms and know the word right as I look at it and how fast you can read
1: because you memorized it
0: it was blowing my mind when she breaks it down how we develop it sorry
1: yeah No, it's interesting because it makes me feel like, wow, what we take for granted, yeah, right? Because we had these skills in place and it was really easy to learn this, it just feels like, oh, why is that so hard, Yeah, right? But thinking about all these things, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, don't think too hard about sight words. No, (laughs) no, you'll just forget how to read. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a really fascinating table on page 28 that shows each cognitive domain and its associated literacy skills. So like, for example, Language processing involves the skills of vocabulary knowledge, use of context clues, and reading comprehension amongst others. So all of these things need to be in place. As adults, when we're reading, you know, those things are already well-developed, so we're not even thinking about every time you use a context clue for a word you don't know. The two cognitive areas that affect the mechanics of reading are phonological processing and visual imagery for symbol processing. So initially, children develop phonological processing skills when they sound out small words. So they're saying k-a-t means cat. But over time, they decode those over and over again until they become stored visually as sight words. So they're just memorizing what it looks like. And this shift happens at different times for different children, but on average between the ages of six to seven. So sometimes we never really see the shift from decoding To memorize sight words because the visual imagery processing domain is never really strengthened enough and then therapy would be required at that point. A child will be able to read words on a page if he develops strong processing in phonological processing and visual imagery for symbol processing, but this does not really ensure comprehension of the text. Again, like nonsense words, if those areas are strong enough you can read and decode, but that does not really impact comprehension And that requires the development and integration of the language processing system, which requires visualization. And children need to be able to make mental pictures of what they read in order to comprehend it. A common mistake seen in classrooms, I don't know if you've seen this, Laura, but I have, and I remember some TPT products getting like a lot of heat for this because it's basically promoting something that's not really evidence based is when a teacher encourages a child who has a hard time reading or a beginner reader to look at the pictures to help with their reading.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And they're saying that this is a language tool. And if you want to improve reading mechanics, then you really need to strengthen reading mechanics. And you should not use something that's a language tool, if that's not what you're really trying to address.
0: Yeah, that part was so interesting to me. You know, I was going backwards to grad school and learning about scaffolding and, you know, like the ways that we try to help kids find strategies. When someone has a stroke or something like that, you do find these tools, like a workaround. Right. But with kids and with neuroplasticity, if we give them a workaround, like looking at the pictures, they don't get that independence with reading because they rely so heavily. Right. And so some people might see that as scaffolding, but it's really just hurting in the long
1: run. Yes. And she talks about that too, about this recent push, which we've all heard to emphasize a child's learning style. Oh, you're a visual learner. We should give you a lot of visual information. But she's like, this approach is really a crutch. And she stresses that in order to help our struggling learners effectively, we must strengthen the areas of weakness, not teach to the strength which when you put it that way, it's so obvious, (laughs) yet I guess it needs to be said again. (laughs) If you want to develop a literacy intervention approach for a child, you really first need to complete a comprehensive evaluation to figure out the area of cognitive weakness and level of breakdown. So then that information is obviously going to help you make a selection of the appropriate intervention. So for example, if a child is weak in phonological processing, you want to select a strategy that stimulates that, or maybe phonemic awareness. And one of the most important things to remember is that the intervention you use needs to start at or before the level of breakdown. So like you were saying, in the last episode, Laura, a lot of these interventions assume stability at the CVC level, and maybe the child Mm -hmm. is just at the CV level. So first, you need to figure out where the breakdowns happening. And then there's a lot of programs out there. Just choose one that fits. But that's a key component. And then also, we can think about all the different school subjects and what cognitive processes are required when a brain is trying to learn them, like English, math, social studies, science, even a foreign language. And the cognitive processing model can really help with that. So it's important to remember that most academic subjects require strength in all of the cognitive domains, like English and language arts require strong reading and writing skills. So that means they need strong speech processing, phonological processing, visual imagery for symbols, language processing, and executive functioning. And then speaking of math, math demands strength in visual imagery for symbols. So this is math symbols like the plus sign, the minus sign, but also numbers, language processing, and executive functioning. So there's a significant executive functioning demand required for math, large amounts of cognitive planning and organization. And it used to be that kids who struggled with literacy and language still did well in math because it was heavily focused on computation and symbols. But as new approaches to math are being developed, language has kind of snuck in and significantly increased So, you know, think of all the word problems. So now kids who struggle with English and language arts are also struggling with math. And then science and social studies also require strengths in speech processing, phonological processing, visual imagery for symbols, language processing, and executive functioning. And foreign languages, wow, like complicated. (laughs) They require the cognitive use of speech processing, phonological processing, visual imagery for symbols, language, and executive functioning. And then there's also this unique demand on your cognition because it requires a whole new phonological system or a new sound system that's associated with this new language. So imagine that you already have difficulty with your native language, and then someone's like, here, now learn Spanish. Yeah. What? You're like, I don't even have a good hold on English. And here, okay. So
0: when we have bilingual students, Of course, when Spanish is the home language, it is disastrous when the parents who have very limited English start trying to speak English only at home. That's not going to be helpful. And unfortunately, I think some SLPs and teachers used to be telling parents. Well, he's struggling with his English. Maybe you shouldn't confuse Not a good model. So we're, we're away from that. But if you did identify, say like, I have a client who's going to be starting a program in another language for preschool, other than the language spoken at home and other than English. And if you did identify maybe a phonological deficit, if that was where the problem was with speech and language development, Would you recommend then to parents, hey, let's just do English preschool?
1: Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like let's reduce the cognitive load. Yeah. Right. Let's just get English really nailed down. And then, you know, (laughs) you can enroll them maybe in like a dual language elementary school program. Yeah. With that crucial time, I would be like. Let's not just add this layer of complication. (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Wow. And something else to note is that cursive writing is also complicated. That's a new symbol set. So students who have weakness with visual imagery for symbols will probably have a difficult time acquiring cursive. And that is so sad because I love cursive so much. It's- I was about
0: to say, no one loves cursive more than Adrian.
1: It's true. You. Always write in cursive. That's true. Recently, I was going through old boxes and stuff, and I found some notebook pages that I had written when I was probably like 13. And my sister was like, Oh my gosh, your handwriting looks the same. I was like, No, it doesn't. It looks so much better now. But I was like still devoted to the cursive, even back then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting because my handwriting <laughs> changes a lot. Like, I'll just decide I want to write a different mm-hmm. way. I'll see the way someone writes oh, and I love to fun. try to like switch up my handwriting and copy the way someone else writes.
1: I love handwriting. That's fun. I love handwriting too. Of course, I had my calligraphy moment. Me too. Me too. I've got fountain pens. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have checked out books, read some of them about handwriting analysis Ooh. and like your personality that People can tell from your cursor. Oh, I was thinking forensics. Yeah, also forensics, of <laughs> course, okay, like okay. both. <laughs> okay. I think the psychology is interesting. But anyway. Yeah. Um, the point of all of this is that executive functioning demands for academic learning are extensive. So never forget that the executive functioning within the model is the big circle around everything else. So literally every single subject we just went through requires executive functioning. And I did have a little note here that the author has plans to release a future book that will be focused entirely on executive functioning and executive functioning intervention. So she really wants to stress that from the moment a child wakes up to the moment they go to bed, they are required to self-regulate and, you know, therefore a child's executive functioning system must be adequately developed and fully functioning all day, every day for academic success. So many of our students are struggling in this area and the cognitive demands that are placed on them you know, today in academic settings often really far exceed their developmentally maybe inappropriate executive functioning abilities. So remember Smart But Scattered, that was a great example of all the areas in a person's life that are touched by weak executive functioning skills. Yeah, Really fascinating stuff. I mean, lots to think about.
0: Yeah. And you know what I'm excited about is I feel like sometimes as speech therapists, when we get too involved in the academic areas in the reading and the writing and the math we kind of feel like we're overstepping or like we're a little out of our depth like we're not quite we don't know what the teachers know but this is giving me this whole new way to look at things. And I do think teachers really value our input. I've had so many teachers ask me things. They're like, can I show you this writing sample? Like what is happening here? You know, they want my input on things about reading and about writing about maybe a reading test, an oral reading test they did. And if you have this information now, you're going to feel so much more confident talking to teachers. I feel like this is going to be a book maybe that I read a couple of times because it's so... interesting to put it
1: all together like this. Definitely. And I can relate to that. I mean, if you have a reading specialist on your team at your district, then it's like you kind of don't want to step on toes. You're like, it's related, Mm -hmm. but this is their job. But now we know that it actually is related. And there's probably so much we can learn from the reading specialist, you know, overall. So yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. All right everyone, well, stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to dive even deeper into this book, learn more, so stay tuned. Bye Laura. Bye Adrian.
0: At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.